Hi, hello, my name is Daphnis Prieto and you're listening to Talking Blues. with the beginning tell me tell me about growing up in Santa Clara Cuba well I was born uh, and raised in a kind of a, a humble uh, neighborhood and a family uh, um, and it was very uh, musical the name of that uh, of that neighborhood was uh, El Condado and El Condado um, you know there were a lot of musicians uh, and artists and I got uh, uh, exposed to music at the very early age. I don't have any musician in my family, uh, <clears throat> but uh, but I was exposed to, to music uh, at the very early age because of the environment, because of the neighborhood that I was living in, and etc. So Can you paint a picture of what that like was it that there's music on the streets or this music how, is, on how the, was that exposure it's music on the street and music on people's houses people used to rehearse their bands uh in the houses and and also music on the street meaning you know rumba and and uh and also the carnival uh parade music used to rehearse like two blocks from my house i used to actually parade in front of my block uh, for the rehearsals, and um, so yes, that's, that was a, a huge exposure for me. And also, you know, Cuba has a, a very powerful musical um, cultural um, state. Uh, you know, so it's, it's it's really part of of our idiosyncrasy and the way we live uh, music. So that that was the you know basically the the environments where I grew up. Do, do you remember, I, I know that there was music all around you, but do you remember when you thought, I want to pursue this? I want to learn how to play the drums or? Well, I start early, my first instrument was the guitar. I start playing guitar and I love the guitar, especially the acoustic guitar. Um, and I still do, but uh, through that, I started um, going into into uh, started getting more interested in on percussion. So I started playing bongos, which was my first percussion instrument. And um, and then I I went to the to the music conservatory uh, at, at at ten years old. Wow. Uh, and I start doing a classical training for uh, percussion. So uh, when I'm saying, you know, when I start guitar, that was about, I was like six or seven years old. So in like in three years, I kind of evolved from the guitar to the bongos and made the decision to be a percussionist and go to the school. My mom took me to school to do the, you know, the examens and, uh, uh, to to start on on the music school and and therefore when I was ten I uh, start you know doing the classical training in the in the school of fine arts in Santa Clara. Later on I did four years there in Santa Clara, and later on I went to the National School of Music uh, to Havana, and that's where I you know I kept uh, doing my studies, but then also. Uh, becoming much more active uh, on on playing uh, drums and writing music and you know just just doing what I really love doing. Can I can I ask at the age of ten, would it be correct to assume that you were pretty good to get to that school to follow music? Yeah, I mean you know I was already involved in music. I was giving it uh, enough time uh, to uh, practice. And because I love it, it it, it, it start becoming part of my life. It start becoming part of, of who I was. And you know, to to go back to that question that you asked me, if I made that decision, I didn't really made. It, it didn't really was a moment where I make a decision. For me, it was all a continuation of what I really love doing. And eventually, 
because I was at the school at 10 and then I went to Havana when I was 14, 15. I just kept going, doing what I love doing. And I never thought of, of doing anything else for that matter because I was already so involved that I, I wouldn't even think of trying to do anything else. This would have been classical music more than jazz, correct? Yes, yes, classical training, yeah. And, and what did classical music mean to you back then? Well, you know, I, I, I learned a lot from it. And, uh, and, and we got great influence in Cuba from the classical music coming from the Eastern European. You know, at that time, it was the socialist uh, so, uh, country. So we used to have a lot of exchange culturally with those countries including Russia. We got a lot of teachers that came from Russia and the Eastern European to live in in Cuba and to teach there. So I, I learned how to appreciate that music, which, you know, is not the music necessarily that you can hear on the streets of Cuba, but um, you learn how to, to understand it and you know there there are classes that are that are made specifically for the appreciation of that kind of music, and then you start understanding you know the technicalities and the and the insights of the music, and we went you know all the way from the Renaissance to the contemporary composers. That was a that's that's part of the education we received there. So I wonder, as a as a child growing up in in Cuba, what your image of being a musician would have been. You know, in, in in cases like oftentimes people want to become a rock star or whatever. Did you have like an image of what you hope to accomplish musically? I really, I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you want to imitate everything that you like, basically. But they, I didn't have one specific person. I, I just felt inspired by all the music that I liked and the musicians that I liked and the way they play it and, 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 you know, the passion with which they play their instrument and play the music, that was the inspiration for me. As I say, I didn't have, I'm not, you know, the kind of the, the regular settings of, oh, my dad was a musician, therefore he, you know, helped me to get involved in, it wasn't that, I was, I was on my own, meaning, you know, giving myself the benefit of the doubts that, that I'm going to follow something that I really love doing. And, you know, as I say, I, I follow bands and, and specific musicians that I liked. I, I remember there was a, a big band in Santa Clara named uh, Orquesta de Musica Moderna. And in that orchestra, they used to play like big band charts from the U.S. also. Um, they play like Mina Ferguson stuff, they play some Herbie Hanko stuff, they play a lot of things. And the drummer was amazing. He was an unbelievable drummer and his nickname was El Peje. And we're still friends now. Um, and he's, you know, obviously he, he he's from Santa Clara and uh, he was a great inspiration on me. And, you know, I probably wanted to be like him when I was a kid. But I always have something inside myself that avoid me to be, not avoid me, but kind of balance that idea of being a follower and a leader. I always have felt that I have, that I needed to do things my own way. And I always have felt like I do, and I am in this life not to follow specifically anyone, but to to actually uh, imprint my own, you know, being of who, or of who I am. So, you know, as I say, I loved a lot of different kind of music and I learned to do that more so through the years. You know, as I say, even even a singer, if I saw a singer at that time that I liked, I just tried to imitate him, you know, of what he was doing with his voice. Even myself, you know, trying to imitate that with my voice or just try to copy that idea in a sense and put it in the instrument that I was playing, in that case, you know, on the drum set. So I learned how to actually, I'm basically self-taught in in many things that I do. So I never had that kind of a approach to music or life of being waiting for someone to tell me what to do. I kind of, you know, kind of went for it. If I like something, I that's 
that's the path that I will follow regardless of whether I have someone to give me guidance or not. I, it's hard for me to understand what it would have been like to grow up in Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, how accessible was a lot of the music that you loved, other than the Cuban music? Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't that much uh, uh, accessible at, at that at that time, and not even now. I, I mean, for example, in Cuba, there were not really music stores that sell, you know, American music or even classical music. The music that we that that was, you know, ninety percent of the music, it was consumed in Cuba and it still is, uh, is 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 Cuba music. Right. So, so, you know, the path of of jazz or classical music or any other kind of music was very, very, very narrow. So, you know, basically the way we exchange information it was through tapes. You know, you remember the the, the tapes, the you know the yeah, yeah, the regular tapes, tapes. Yeah. <laughs> and we used we used to exchange those tapes and and record you know, the tapes from, from CD, from, from records. At that time, they weren't even CDs, I think. And uh, we just did the best we could with what we have. We exchanged the information that way through musicians, and, and the musicians exchanged it with the students. And then, you know, I was on that student list. And then I became a musician later on who traveled outside of Cuba. And then, you know, I earn my own, you know, the music that I like, I, I bought it, and then I brought it back to Cuba, and then I have my friends, you know, copy the music and listen to it, because in Cuba, there was very, very uh, small access uh, to that. I wonder, was there anything that you came across in your younger age of North American or European music that just floored you, that changed your life? Oh, I mean, listening to to uh, Johann Sebastian Bach music in, at school was to me a, a great uh, journey. Also, you know, the great uh, classics of, of, of classical music, you know, like Mozart or Beethoven or even Bartok and Stravinsky. And we listen a lot of like uh, the ballet, the Tchaikovsky uh, music for ballets. And, uh, and but also but also all that kind of music and, and American music for example uh, I started listening when I was about 13 or 14 uh, you know more into you know start listening more jazz uh, music uh, and I start uh, you know listening to, to the classics like John Coltrane and Felonis Monks and Charlie Parker and through that, you know, I met the drummers that were playing with them, such as Elvin Jones and Max Roach, and uh, you know, all all of the kind of the classics that that we have today, that we admire so much, and they have you know created kind of made the foundation of of, of what the music is. So when you started traveling and touring around the world, mm -hmm. what was that like? What what impression did that leave you with? That was an unbelievable, an unbelievable step in my life because I traveled uh, my first time when I was 17. I was already a professional musician. Uh, I was still in, in the school. I, I finished school at 18. Uh, so when I was 17, I was part of a, a, a band uh, that was led by a really good musician and piano player from Chile and he, uh, he he was living in Cuba since he was a kid and he wanted to make a band he had some connection through his father who lived in France and his name is Carlos Massa and yeah, we became really good friends and, and we started playing together and became part of his band uh, and then we went to Paris for the first time when I was 17 years old. I mean, being from that humble hometown that I that I mentioned early, all the way to Paris was was definitely a huge impact on me. I mean, everything: the lights, the stores, the music, the people around, the you know, the scene. 
I and then I I became I, I was going often to 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 France because of Carlos Massa's projects, and I've, and when I finished the school, I start staying longer periods of time in France and specifically in Paris, and I went there for like. Um, Sometimes I stay like for three months or four months after I finish the tour because I start making friends and I start making connection with other musicians. So when I finish that tour, I stayed and I start doing some gigs around and staying in friends' uh, houses and stuff like that. And you know, I just wanted to learn and and open myself to the journey that life puts in front of me. And and I was so fascinated because there were so so many great musicians playing different kind of music uh, that. That I that I that I wanted to really uh, put my ears on. I, I wonder. So what I don't understand, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an ignorant about this, but Should how be. freely could you move around? Like if you said you want to stay in Paris for three months after the tour, that wasn't a problem with the Cuban government. That wasn't a problem because I wasn't traveling through the Cuban government. I was traveling uh, independently. Okay, but you could come and go as you please. Well, I needed. Well, that's that's a that's a, a whole day a long story to try to define that, <laughs> but you know most of the Cuban bands they were going outside of Cuba through the government, meaning through the system, right. the cultural system that they created. Hence, they got paid from the Cuban government, and they get and they got someone like a road manager that that was taking care of them and was, you know, kind of revising and, and reviewing what they were doing. That was not my case. Uh, as I say before, I always wanted to do things my way. And I, uh, to me, um, I always been a little bit skeptical of being part of a system, uh, of any system. Right. Uh, so, so, and that is something in me, is, is something um, that it always has been uh, part of the way I am, so I, I, I didn't really uh, make any of these trips through, uh, you know, through the, through that kind of uh, approach of of the system, you know, having someone to not uh, or someone controlling you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That wasn't my case. Okay, so at one point or another, you decided to stay away mm-hmm. or go to. I know that you lived in Spain. I know you lived in Toronto. Yeah. Um, was it ever a possibility for you have, to have stayed in Cuba to be a f- lifelong musician there? Or at one point, was it just important that you left and worked somewhere else in the world? It was indeed important and necessary. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, one of the reasons I left Cuba is because I really want to grow musically. I wanted to exchange and learn from other kind of music. Um, I, I, and you know most of the music that you consume in music, and therefore you you you're going to be involved with it is Cuban music, and I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be you know the regular you know Cuban musician playing Cuban music in a club or or whatever performances for dancing and stuff like that. I want to do much more than that, meaning you know playing jazz or playing avant-garde music or playing or writing music, chamber music or playing anything, creating my own music, which I end up doing at the end, and I've been doing for uh, almost 20 years already, you know, you know, composing my music, creating my own world. I, I don't think I would be able to do that in Cuba. How did that start? How did the, the need to compose begin for you? To me, I wanted to create the water that I wanted to swim on. I wanted to really create the infrastructure and to play drums, but at the same time, to let my ideas, my music ideas, go through, and 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 be exposed as much as my playing as a drummer. So I wanted to really develop a vocabulary which was sincere to me, but at the same time, something that that uh, that it has a personal touch uh, from my uh, way of doing music. So uh, it, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's a mix of love with necessity. Uh, it's a passion, you know. And, 
I didn't. I I didn't only want to be a drummer. I wanted to be a, a musician in the whole sense. I wanted to write music. I want to conceive. I want to produce stuff. I want to be involved in the in the whole in the wholeness of music. Not only being a drummer and and play you know drums with a lot of people. I want to to be the leader and and create and put my my five cents of of who I am in the world, not only through drumming but through my writing and you know anything that I could create. So when you went to school, you went mainly for percussion for drums, yes, correct? Yes. Did you have to learn how to play piano? Like what yes, is I, the composition? Yes, yes. I I part of the uh, of the training it was to to play a classical piano. Oh okay. So I played I played uh, yeah for. I mean, I did that for eight years, so I play I play classical piano, uh, you know, some some pieces, some Bach pieces, some some Chopin stuff. I mean, not the complicated, you know, the most uh, complicated pianistic stuff, but you know, still, it was a great opportunity for me to understand music and to be able to play a second instrument such as the piano, which is such a a complete instrument in so many different ways that uh, that it really helped me so yes I did piano okay so when you decide that you want to compose mm-hmm. did those uh, how did those ideas come to you that's a great question and uh, it's the same thing as how thoughts come to you and how feels come to you I mean you experience life and you interact with it and therefore you make your own conclusions out of it and then and you have feelings and those feelings and and those thoughts um, in a way get transcribed in what you really love doing if you're an architect then then that will happen you know with your art and and they say and, and that's what happened to me with music you know all those feelings and all this life that I was having I wanted to reflect that in music and and it was a, a very natural uh, uh, process for me. Uh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, now I'm going to really um, put myself into composition. I was also lucky enough to be inspired by a lot of great musicians that I was playing with, including the ones that I was playing already in Cuba. Uh, we had a band in Cuba named Columna B, which was a a fantastic band it was it was actually a, a we were mainly four musicians that we are now uh the four of us uh doing a lot of things in in our own rights independently and 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 you know that was a great a great scenario for me to learn and to develop and to understand uh, you know the importance on of not only playing a drum set but but conceiving my music, and uh, and you know you 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 start interacting with that. You later on you say, oh, I like I guess I like doing this stuff. Let me see how far can I get on this path, or let me go in different directions. And and then little by little you start finding your own voice in it. I would presume that just based on what I witnessed of you as a drummer, um, which is at a pretty high level. Mm. That you have worked really hard to be to get there. Yes. Um, and I, I can't imagine somebody that's not a natural thing. I mean, I presume there's natural talent, but you had to work at it. Yes. Where does that work ethic come from? Well, as I say, uh, it comes from 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 an internal uh, feeling and love for sound. And you know, as, since I was a kid, when I listened to music, it was it's a, Let's say that you and me were having a conversation when I was six or seven years old. And, you know, as soon as I hear the music, I kind of, you know, blanked out. And, and I start listening to the music and I stop having the conversation with you. <laughs> it was, it was a, some, you know, it started being that vocabulary, that, that path that, that, I, that, I, that it felt it resonates with me. Uh, in a in a much higher level, and that really was what what it did at all. Because then I say, if this is really what it drives me, what it makes me wake up happy, 
and it makes me fantasize and go through my imagination and share with my friends in a very joyful way when I was a kid, then I just keep going that. At what point did you have goals in music? Like I presume that at one point you thought you need to move to New York. Yes, but you know, the moving to New York was very interesting. I was living in Spain and you know, to tell you the truth, I came to the US uh, once or twice before I made the decision to come here and I didn't really was that much in love with it. Uh, I came to New York and, and, and I played there, we hang out, we play in different venues with the band that I mentioned, Columna B. And I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, uh, buying it, the whole thing. It was a little bit too distorted, everything. This was too much of everything. And I remember, I come from a very, you know, much quieter, yeah. quieter, uh, you know, place, humble kind of thing. I was kind of, kind of a country guy. And, you know, it wasn't my thing. So anyway, I made the decision to move to Spain, to, to stay actually in one of the tours that we did with Columna B. I just stayed there and I say, I'm, I'm not going back this time. And then from then on, I, I made that decision to just make a living outside of Cuba. Was that difficult? It was difficult, yeah. It was difficult. It was very difficult because it's, it's the amount of uncertainty that I started uh, becoming, you know, making money to make a living in a different way that I was living in Cuba. Uh, you know, it was very difficult indeed. And, uh, it, you know, it really made me grow uh, as a human being and as a, someone that needs to to understand that that I am responsible for my own life and and I have to to really assume the responsibilities and to make the efforts to to really uh make it happen the best I can yeah so i i i I made a decision I lived in in um in Spain for like one and a half years two years and then I got invited to do a tour in Canada and the and the u s with Jane Bunet. Uh, a Canadian uh, sax player that lives now in Toronto, mm-hmm. and I was tour. I did a few tours with her before that when I was living in Cuba. Then, in on, on that time, I, I came to the Canada, and part of that tour with Jane it was actually to play at the North Sea Jazz Festival. So when, since I didn't have the green card yet from Spain, but I had the papers that says that I was in the process of, of you know, of the application for the green card. When I went to the embassy to the, or the consulate of uh, Netherlands to ask for the visa to go to the North Sea, they denied my visa. So that really changed the whole, the, that really was a 180 degree change uh, in my life because then I I was not able to go back to where I was living in Spain, in Barcelona at that time, and they denied my visa for a year. So now I have to make a second uh, change in my life, meaning that I have to do something in that year, uh, productively or creatively. At that time, I had one entry left to go to the U.S., you know, it was very, very stressful for me because I didn't really, even though I had a lot of friends and, and I played, you know, outside the tour with other musicians in Toronto and I have great friends there. I have a really good friend with my big brother, uh, Roberto Gipinti, the bass player that, that lives in Toronto and, and, and I actually stayed with him uh, for long periods of time. I stayed with him for like four months, six months in his house. He kind of adopt, adopted me. But then all my friends, they told me, listen, you, you should not stay in Toronto. You should go to New York. What, what, where you really belong is in New York for what you really want to do and the quality and the kind of music that you want to do. And as I told you, you know, before, New York wasn't my cup of tea, but I have to overcome that fear or that, you know, uncomfortability in a, in a way inside myself and you know my friends told me just go there and I used that 
and and I came to New York. I called a friend of mine, uh, and I stayed with him for the first three or five months. Uh, I came to New York in uh, 1999, 21 years already. So what was it like when you made your way back to New York? Well, I I came to New York, and you know the the basic stuff. I have to start, um, you know, going to places and and let people that I'm there that I was there. Uh, I knew a few musicians already, like Steve Coleman. I also knew Henry Tregel, and I also knew Brian Lynch because of previous visits. They came to Cuba. In this case, Steve Coleman did, but I met. Brian Lynch all at the Stanford University where we came with Columna B to do the residency. And then I met Henry in New York when I came with Columna B to play and he came to one of the performance be, uh, recommended by Steve, I believe, Skolman, that mentioned him to go and check out, you know, the band. So he introduced himself and, you know, it, it, it sounds all like a movie. To me, when I see it, uh, you know, from now that I that I talk about it, because it's almost like everything became, you know, a really good, in a way, connections between one point to another to another. So I start doing a lot of different kind of gigs. I, I start doing performing with people from the kind of the more avant-garde scene, like Steve Coleman or Henry Tregel, also Andrew Hill, and, uh, and some other, um, you know, musicians also. And but I was also doing Latin music stuff. Like I started playing with Eddie Palmieri and also Brian Lynch and the Caribbean Jazz Project. And and later on, I start I start doing uh, performances also with Michelle Camilo and so on and so forth. So the interesting thing that happened to me is that I had the ability to go from one scenario music stylistic to another one even in the same day I was rehearsing with one and doing a concert with another one and then the next day I was playing the other kind of music with the one that I was rehearsing the day before so I didn't have really that much of a, a division of style uh, so uh, and you know I, I just came to New York and started playing as much as, as, as I could to earn a living and start meeting people, going to jam sessions and sitting in and stuff like that. And at that time also, uh, a few friends that from Cuba came to New York and we start playing together. So that really helped to feel kind of a community uh, a little bit more closer to, uh, to what, I was, what I was coming from. However, you know, New York is, is a, it's a very social place. And back at at that time, it was much more than than now in a sense that people you know went out much more casual. Right. You know. You also started teaching. Is that was yes. that always in the big plan? No, that that wasn't really. Uh, I, I I didn't really want to thought of ever be teaching until I had my song. So when I had my song. This is a, another fun story. Uh, I, you know, I, I start building up somehow a, a reputation or a career in New York, and I, one day I received a call from an, a student from NYU. He was a big fan of my playing, and he asked me if I could be part of um, of his recital because they need as a recital someone from outside the the school to give to give some kind of grade or some kind of, you know, approval to the recital. Uh, and I say, yes, I, I'm going to go and help you out, uh, you know. So I went there to the recital and, you know, he did the recital, it sounded great and the whole thing, but on my side, on the other chair that I was sitting on, it was the chair of the of the music department of, of the jazz department of NYU. And, you know, he, we start talking and and he said, "What are you doing these days?" I'm touring and stuff. I just had a kid, like a like six months or a year ago, something like that. And you know, I want to stay a little bit around and stuff. Like, well, if you ever think of teaching here, uh, you know, you're more than welcome. Just let me know. And when he said that to me, 
you know, it's just kind of my whole head just just went around. It's like, wow, this is a possibility right here. I can do this. And, you know, since I was already teaching a few uh, young, uh, you know, uh, players that, that approach me um, to teach them and stuff like that, I mean, I felt pretty comfortable doing that. And, and from then on, my passion to teaching and education grew. And I started working at NYU uh, teaching there in 2005. I, ha I actually was, yeah, because I had, uh, uh, I had my song in 2003. And then that was it. And from, that, from then on, I, I, I really give a lot of time to education. And I taught at, at NYU for 10 years. And, and I moved now. I am now in Florida. Uh, I live in Hollywood, Florida, and, and I got a... I'm teaching now at the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami, and I've been there for five years already. What does teaching do for you? What does it give you? To me, it's almost an, an act, an, a spiritual act in a way, the sense of really sharing uh, so much to young students to help them, to shape them, and to teach them the values of music and everything that comes with it. You know, um, it just it just also it helps me personally to organize a lot of information that I, that needs to be taught in a in a way that it is understood. That's completely different than being a performer where you just go on the stage, say a few words if you want, <laughs> and right. then and then just play your instrument. That, that that's about it. The the teaching aspect of it is about you know, analyzing, explaining, uh, conceptualizing things and putting it in words, it really explaining, learning how to explain them in words so that the student, you know, can grasp your intentions and, and, and what you want to say. So, and I've created a, a really good relation uh, with, with m most of my students uh, and I have seen them grow already Many of them are, are doing professional works, either it is the ones that, that were in New York and or the ones that, are, that now I have at the Frost School of Music. I wonder, when you went to New York and your friend said you should go to New York, did you have a plan? Did you have a goal or things that you wanted to accomplish? Because the other thing that's, that's amazing to me, maybe it's not amazing, but the amount of things you've accomplished since you've been in New York mm -hmm. and uh, anywhere from the MacArthur Foundation grant that you received to the numerous Grammy Award nominations mm -hmm. and um, and God knows how many other awards and nominations you've received. But, mm -hmm. you know, as that person who everybody said you should go to New York, what was it that you wanted to accomplish back then? And, and we, have you been able to do that or I, I just, where are you at that? I just wanted... I the only thing that I wanted is to be around the music that I like. I the only thing that I wanted in my life is to is to get a specific and broader at the same time. I wanted to be closer to that specific kind of music that I like, which which is a lot because I like a lot of different kind of music and a lot of different right. approaches. So that's the only thing I, I had in mind. Well, that and, and the survival. So it was, you know, let me push as hard as I can to do what I like and to try to make a living out of it. Was there a point where you thought, now I'm comfortable or I've reached that? Or is there ever a point like that? Uh, it's kind of a progress. It's kind of a, a, a progression that, that comes little by little. I mean, I'm not... I'm not, I, I never really feel fully satisfied because, because there is something always in me that is telling me, uh, you know, you can do more or it could be better or how about this that you haven't tried before uh, or why don't you adventure yourself to do this kind of thing or, or even in my playing or even in my writing as a composer. So. I never really um, been into the uh, 
into that kind of mindset of oh now I think I've I've reached my goal because it's all so subjective mm-hmm. at some point I mean I will never know how people see me or how they look at me I will never know that you know you can be for example a big fan of myself but that's just you your specific experience with with who I am or or you know what you your taste what you like what you resonate what it resonates with you right right but you know music there is so much and there are so many different uh, kind of music and musicians I I just you know I try to approach everything as humble as possible and try to keep myself humble and you know I appreciate all the recognition that I've gotten so far in my in my life and I appreciate it and it has been really helpful but you know then it I I I saw someone an actor someone asked that question to him and he said but you have accomplished so much why you keep working like like a maniac and and keep doing all this you know you put so much effort and all these sacrifices like the only problem is I, I have achieved so much but I keep dreaming you know I I I haven't stopped dreaming so I think I I relate to that because I have so much stuff in my head that I really wanted to do that 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 it could be done that that I really want to uh, you know put my my hands on and you know and my heart to so I mean one one of the other things that you've done is write books yes does that come mainly from teaching or does that come from somewhere completely different yeah it comes from the experience of teaching for example the first book that I wrote it was very uh, inspired by my first uh, you know teachings at NYU I spent like six or seven years writing that book it's, it's a it's a very thorough book in a sense of of it has a lot of information and and it's not only just uh, you know an instructional book it's analytical and it's philosophical in many ways. There are chapters doesn't even have uh, a notation uh, that I explain things, I analyze things, I I reflect and, and expose my point of view regarding you know different subjects. And then my second book, which was published just recently, now in March, uh, it is it was it was created through my experience of teaching at the Frost School of Music. I start teaching a course for non-drummers uh, to improve their rhythmic ability, and that course I name it as uh, rhythmic synchronicity. Uh, and I created the the course at the at the Frost School of Music, and and after two or three years of uh, of experiences, I took a lot of notes and put together another book, which was this one that just came out uh, Rhythmic Synchronicity so yes it's, it was definitely but you know it it, inter, it interconnects with my experience as a player right. obviously you know what else do you have on the go I mean I'm, I'm sure you're always thinking music yeah. and working on different projects but well, what what are you working on these days well right now uh, two months ago or a month and a half ago I finished two commissions uh, to write, I wrote a, a, a piece for the Metropole Orchestra at the, in Holland, the base in Holland. It's basically, a, it's great instrumentation because it's like a big band with like 30 or, or so uh, string players with extra percussion and woodwinds and stuff like that on top of a big band already. So it's like, wow. uh, like 40 musicians on stage or something like that. And I finished that commission I also uh, received a commission uh, to write a, a piece for the uh, the creative uh, arts ensemble at the Princeton University. I was supposed to be doing uh, in the first week of May a residency there and premiere that piece. It didn't happen, but we're going to do it next year. So, and that that's in the composition. I also finished recording a, a new album uh, of the Sextet which it was right three days before the lockdown in New York. We went to the Jazz Standard with the Sextet. I wrote all the new music we prepared, we rehearsed. We play at the Jazz Standard for four nights. 
and then we went to the studio and we recorded. So that's my my soon to be released next project. Um, and uh, and now at, at this moment I'm actually uh, uh, filming, uh, recording a lot of stuff here at home that I have a small studio, uh, and I'm filming it with cameras and stuff like that uh, to actually post them these lessons and performances by myself that I'm going to be posting on my website pretty soon now in June uh, to uh, to just add more content to my website but also to to broader you know what I what I do in terms of teaching and performing as well I get the feeling that perhaps there's just never enough time for you yes in terms of 24 hours at the end of the day is just not enough I know. And that, that you probably have so many other things that you would love to do that you can't yeah well now you know little by little it's just so much and it's kind of putting different eggs in different baskets and try to juggle with it and you know try to to make because it's a lot it's, and you know I'm writing also uh, new music for a project which is going to be uh, done in you know, hopefully in, in a couple of years, with I want to have uh, songs uh, written by me. I have already uh, like five or seven new songs uh, uh, with uh, songs like like with text, with lyrics. And uh, do you sing? No, I don't sing. I, I'm not going to be the singer, okay. but I'm going to be sh- choosing song singers or maybe one. We have to, we have to make that decision. Of, of how we're going to approach that, but I want to make a, a, a record of, you know, my songs uh, sing by, you know, different uh, singers or maybe one. we we'll see about that. And, you Is know, this the first time you've written with lyrics? No, I, 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 I did that uh, maybe 15 years ago. I received a commission uh, to write a song and, and, I, and, I, and I wrote a song and, and it was a great experience. I, I love it. So I, you know, I'm 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 thinking on that in the for a couple in a couple of years or so. I'm also keep writing stuff for big band so I can make my next big band record. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff, man. It's I, I yeah, mean yeah. I don't have to. It's it's interesting because now we, you're talking about that. Yeah, times is is very relative and and mostly it it really depends on on how much you're doing or or the level of your you know awareness of what you're doing but i don't i i um there is there is so much up there and and i have to really um you know be disciplined uh in terms of 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 how much time i'm going to dedicate to this and to the and the deadlines of this and the deadlines of that so it's a lot. It's a lot to take, and and I'm married also, and you know, so I have to. <laughs> and with a with a child. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot, but um, you know, it's all fun. So I, I I can imagine that the pandemic has changed things for you, but it probably didn't stop you. It probably made more time for you to do things. What have you learned from this experience? Yeah, that's what I was going to actually say. Um, this is this is my comfort zone. Uh, my home this is my laboratory and you know when when this whole uh, quarantine experience became for many people i just start looking at the situation and i say wow this is this looks like the whole world is to start living the same way i live <laughs> because i'm in quarantine i've been in quarantine for all my life meaning you know if i'm not traveling if i'm not traveling really which is, you know, traveling for a specific reason, I either going to perform or doing something specifically or going to my hometown, uh, you know, in Cuba to visit my family and friends. If I'm not doing any of that, I'm here at home or teaching, but you know, it's a lot, it's a lot. But, but what I'm saying is like, I'm comfortable at home and I have so much stuff to do at home that I don't even think is a punishment or is is something that 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 I have to be thinking about. This is this is right. my 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 state, you know, in the regular sense. You know, I miss I miss at this moment. I had a lot of things going on in Europe, 
and in the U.S. as well for performing and, and I miss that you know I like performing in, in, in front of an audience and, and sharing that and you know it's always very uh, you know satisfying when when you get to meet people on the road and just you know but at the same time I, I'm in my laboratory creating and, and doing stuff and you know this will all happen and, and, we, and it will pass so eventually I'm, I'm you know trying to focus on in, in a in a, in a positive uh, outcome of, of trying to keep myself productive and, you know. Well, I, I'm sure you are. Daphnis, I, you know I've wanted to talk to you for many years. Yes. Um, as I told you, when I saw you perform in Ottawa uh, with the Griffin Trio and Scott and Roberto, it was the most one of the most amazing performances I ever witnessed to see a drummer play that piece of music. And I, at that evening, I got a chance to meet you, and I, I, I thought, I need to interview this person one of these days. And so I'm thrilled that you gave me this opportunity. So that's one of the positives of the pandemic. Um, but thank you so much for doing this. It's uh, It means a lot to me, and a, a big thrill for me. Thank you. My pleasure. I, I know you have been trying for a while already, trying to uh, you know reach me and, and try to, uh, to make this happen. And, you know, I've been so busy that... It comes and goes. I have so many emails, and you know, it's, it's just a lot of stuff. Uh, but, but I'm really uh, happy to to get the opportunity to do it, and I thank you for uh, you know for having the initiative of of doing this interview. Uh, and it was great to meet you uh, uh, through through this way also, and get to talk to you and you know about what what I love doing, etc. So thank you. Yeah, well, I hope to see you perform live again sometime in the near future. Okay, thank you. Thank you, my you pleasure. Take care.